You're listening to For the Record with Tess Hurd. I'm Tess Hurd, and this is For the Record. Everybody, and welcome back to another episode of For the Record with Tess Heard. I'm Tess Heard, and this is For the Record. I hope that you all are having a great week and enjoying your Friday or whatever day you're listening to this on. To my surprise, I didn't receive a lot of backlash from last week's episode, but it also didn't get as many listens as I was expecting. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check it out. Not because I want backlash, but because I would really appreciate the plays. And most importantly, it's a story that really needs to be talked about. It doesn't matter if I like or dislike the Jason Aldean song, but the story of Henry Choate is one that more people need to know about. And if you don't know about it, then yeah, go, go listen. This week, we're diving into a case that rocked the Tennessee Valley. It's a case that absolutely broke my heart and infuriated me to my core. Like I've said in many episodes before, I'm not a full supporter of the death penalty, but this case made me say, if they get the death penalty, I won't bat an eye. This case hit me hard, though, because it involves a child, a sweet, innocent five-year-old boy who did not deserve to lose his life. At that time, I was struggling with infertility and not knowing if I'd ever be able to have children of my own. Knowing that someone could take the life of a child when there are people like me who can't have children of their own, who would love that child as if it were their own, take care of that child, give that child a safe, happy, loving home, it just absolutely killed me. I think that anyone who can take the life of a child is simply evil. There's no excuse. There is no justification. There's nothing that can make me think someone who murders a child is anything less than the devil in the flesh. This case only deepens that belief. So without further ado, this is the case of Joe Clyde Daniels. Joe Clyde Daniels was born July 30th, 2013. He was a strawberry blonde, blue-eyed angel. He was described by teachers and friends as sweet, funny, and a joy to have in their classrooms. Baby Joe, as he was affectionately called, was also on the autism spectrum and nonverbal. While his vocabulary was very limited, he was still able to communicate by sounds, by pointing, and by touching. He was a class clown, always making the teachers and the other kids laugh, but he also wasn't extremely social. He liked things to be quiet, and when games or projects got loud, Joe would hang back and try to find a less chaotic place to be. He loved his button-up shirts and cowboy boots, and although he couldn't button his own shirts, 
he still had to wear a button-up shirt every single day. His gross motor skills were in the one percentile, meaning the basics of basic hand movements and ability to do certain tasks like buttoning a shirt or flipping things over or opening a door, for instance, were extremely difficult, if not impossible for him to do. He also loved eating. Eating was one of his most favorite things, and his favorite food was apples. He loved his apples. And he would be very sad and very upset if he didn't have one to munch on during his therapy sessions at school. His therapy sessions were very beneficial to him. He was learning how to count and learn his ABCs. And even though he couldn't say the words, you could understand what he was trying to say in the context of the conversation. In another video that they played in court by Joe's therapist, Baby Joe had a pointer and was pointing to the alphabet. He would point to each letter and wait for the teacher to say what the letter was. And whenever she wouldn't say it, he would sit there and tap it until she said it. I'm also going to apologize. My cats are running around chasing each other. So if you hear squawking cats in the background. I apologize. When asked about if Joe's skills were improving, she said something along the lines of, when he would come in on Mondays, we were starting at square one. By Friday, he was thriving. And then when he'd come back on Monday, he would be back to square one again, indicating that while he was making progress in the classroom, his new skills were not being utilized and practiced at home. Home, a place where every child should feel safe and be able to truly thrive, was the polar opposite for baby Joe. Despite the household being eight members strong, it would seem as if none of the family really looked out for baby Joe. His grandfather was a long-haul truck driver and would be away from the home most of the time. On occasion, Joe's grandmother would join her husband on these trips, leaving baby Joe alone with his two siblings, his parents, and his aunt. I do think that Joe's grandparents were good to him, and there's nothing indicating his aunt was in any way abusive, but it does make me question what was going on when the entire family was home, rather than what happened on this dreadful morning on April 4th, 2018. Regardless, home wasn't a place where Joe was able to thrive and really nurture his new skills from therapy and from school. Police had been called to the home multiple times previously, but I couldn't find the details of what those calls entailed. I imagine it was either domestic-related or having to do with baby Joe in regards of him escaping or, you know, maybe running away from the home. However, I did find an article that said that baby Joe was always able to be found and was always okay when police would be called. 
So that makes me think they were called to help find him. This time would be different, though. Instead of finding baby Joe hiding somewhere or just wandering outside, little Joe would not be found at all. In fact, his body is still missing to this day. Searches have taken place, ponds have been drained, forests have been scoured, and every inch of the house has been looked over time and time again. Alas, there is no evidence pointing towards where baby Joe is or whether he is alive or dead, and we'll get to that theory later on. On April 4th, 2018, Joseph Ray Daniels, Joe's father, called 911 in the early morning hours. His son, Joseph Clyde Daniels, was missing and couldn't be found. He told 911 that his son had, quote, escaped and the front door was unlocked and opened. He explained that baby Joe had autism and when asked how severe his autism was, Joseph replied in what I think is a strange way. Joseph said he tries to bathe himself, but we have to bathe him. Like, what does that even have to do with how severe his autism is? I would think that he's nonverbal. He doesn't communicate well. He needs special attention. He has poor gross motor skills. That would be another, a, a better explanation than we have to bathe them. But that's just my opinion. Under stress and scary situations, you're not thinking clearly and you may just say whatever comes to mind. The first time my husband had to call 911 for me, he had no clue what to say. I was having a diabetic seizure and he just told them I was breathing funny. However, the second time around, he was cool, calm, and collected. He knew what was going on and he knew what to say. I would think if the Daniels had had to call 911 because Joe was missing in the past, they would know the questions that would be asked and they would know the proper information to tell the dispatchers. Also, shout out to my hubby for being Superman when it comes to my diabetes. You're a rock star, babe, and I love you. When police arrived at the Daniels' home, they immediately began searching for Joe. They brought in scent dogs and tracked a scent, which faded off a few streets down from the Daniels' home. When asked when Joe had last been seen, Joseph said that he'd woken up at some point in the night because Joe had peed the bed. He whipped Joe, then put him back to bed. I have a lot to say about this statement. Why would you whip a child, especially a child on the spectrum, for peeing the bed? Kids wet the bed all the time. It isn't in defiance or to be bad. Sometimes it just happens. Also, did Joseph change the sheets? Did he clean Joe up? Or did he simply let Joe, soaked in urine, go back to a spoiled bed and force him to lay in his own mess? That's a horrific thought. The story would eventually change, though, and honestly, it doesn't get any better, but we'll get to that. Police had suspicions from the get-go, though. Get-go, though. <laughs> They didn't know exactly what it was about the story, but something about it just didn't line up. So what Joseph had told police 
was that after he had put baby Joe back to bed, he himself went back to bed. And then apparently at some point after that, baby Joe got up, got a key to unlock the door, pushed a table, like a little coffee table kind of thing, up to the door so he could unlock it, put the key in, twist the key, flip the latch, and open the door after moving the table. So we're going to go back to Joe's gross motor skills, okay? His therapist said that they would do these kind of cognitive tests with him and with all of the other students and everything. And they had these little flat discs that they needed to, or or that they were trying to get the kids to flip over. Little Joe was not able to move his hands in a way that would allow him to flip over these little plastic discs. If he can't flip a little plastic disc over, how in the mess of the world is he supposed to have the dexterity to push a table, find a key, pick up the key, get the key and put it into the lock, twist the key into the lock, flip a lock, push the table back, and then open the door and get out. That story has a lot of holes in it, okay? It's got a lot of holes in it. If you look at and listen to the reports from Joe's teachers and his therapists at school. I don't think that it would be impossible for him to have gotten out of the house, but he did not get out of the house like Joseph was saying he did. It would also be talked about in the trial that Joe's younger brother came into the living room while police were there and would say, Joe dead, Joe dead, Joe dead. And his aunt would reply while picking up Joe's baby brother and putting him in her lap saying, yes, baby, Joe dead. This makes me think that the aunt knew something. But again, I don't know for sure, and I have found nothing that would indicate that she ever hurt or was involved in what happened with baby Joe. So the police were immediately seeing red flags and asking the Daniels questions about Joe, their family, so on and so forth. A few days would go by, searches continued, but still there was no trace of baby Joe. Tips were coming in daily, sometimes 15 to 20 a day, 
but none of them were really credible. Even still, tips come in, but they're all to no avail. A witness from the early morning hours of April 4th said that while he was driving down the road, he saw a, quote, small teenager on the side of the road wearing the same clothes that Joe had reportedly been wearing the morning of his disappearance. This led law enforcement on another search, but again, nothing was found. And I'm sorry, but Joe was a small kid. There is no way that you could see him and think he was a, quote, small teenager. Even if it was dark, if you saw a kid on the side of the road, you'd be able to tell if they were a toddler or a teenager. And if he saw this kid, why didn't he stop and check on him? Why didn't he stop and offer him a ride? If it's dark outside and it was supposedly storming, why would you let a kid of any age stay out in that mess? That just makes zero sense to me. On April 6th, 2018, just two days after reporting a son missing, Joseph Ray Daniels confessed to killing baby Joe during an interrogation. He'd failed a polygraph test, which to be fair, those things aren't completely valid, but still. Then he said he woke up in the middle of the night and Joe had wet the bed. He whipped him and Joe began to cry, so he put Joe outside like a dog. He put that sweet baby outside in the dark alone as punishment. Telling you what a piece of... Joe then tried to run off. So Joseph brought him back inside and began beating him with his fist. First on his head and then on the face. He then said he took the body to a remote location and disposed of it. He has still not given police the details of that location to this day. Joseph Ray Daniels was arrested and charged with first-degree murder after his confession, but soon Daniels would recant his confession, saying he was coerced into it by detectives. Nevertheless, Daniels went to trial, and in that trial, the prosecuting team played Daniels' confession, as well as let the little brother, who I'd mentioned earlier, testify along with the aunt. There was some back and forth about whether or not the brother should be allowed to testify due to his age, and because the defense wanted to say his testimony was hearsay. But the judge ruled that it wasn't hearsay but just what he had said. In his testimony, Joe's brother said that he'd seen Daniels beat baby Joe until he wasn't moving and then carried his body away. This was very damning in the conviction of Daniels. Ultimately, Daniels was charged with second-degree murder and aggravated child abuse. With the two sentences combined, Daniel was sentenced to 51 years in prison. Not nearly long enough, if you ask me. Twice now, and once as early as February of this year, 2023, Daniels has tried to appeal, saying he was coerced into his confession, and his lawyers are saying that the testimony from the brothers should not have been allowed in court. There's also some stuff being said about Daniels being framed, but again, I couldn't find much about that. I really don't see how he can appeal, but I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know for sure. 
All I know is that he's a piece of garbage and deserves to be locked in prison for the rest of his pathetic life. If you take the life of a child, you are evil. I said that in the beginning, but I am reiterating it now. If you take the life of a child, you are an evil person. I don't think I can make that any clearer. Now, you may be wondering about baby Joe's mother. Crystal Daniels was also charged with aggravated child abuse and sentenced to 15 years in prison. She claims that she knows nothing of baby Joe's death. And I, I couldn't really find very much other than that. She has said that baby Joe isn't dead, but that she sold him to a family in the Jackson, Tennessee area. If this were true, I would hope that the family who had him would come forward. I know this might mean losing baby Joe. Um, they may think that because they bought him, you know, he's theirs, but that's not how that works. Um, but knowing that he's alive would at least be a sense of relief to his grandparents and his siblings and his teachers and his therapists and the kids who were in his class, his friends at school. And he had friends at school. And there are some of those kids who still talk about him to this day. At one point, a letter was sent to Joe's grandparents saying that Joe was still alive, but the author of the letter didn't give any information regarding who the letter was from or where Joe was. I read that they think it possibly could have come from Daniels just trying to get charges dropped or released or whatever. It's been right at five and a half years since baby Joe's disappearance. His grandparents, his teachers, his friends from school, they still have no clue where he is or what truly happened that April morning. Joe would have turned 10 this year. I imagine that if he would have been able to really work on his speech and his gross motor skills, he would have had more people in his corner, like his therapist. If he would have had someone, anyone to fight for him, take him away from the hell of a house he had had to call home. He, he could have just been given a chance. He would have been an incredible young man today. People with autism are all incredible. Yeah, sometimes they can't speak. Sometimes they're hard to understand and hard to communicate with. In no way am I trying to downplay the difficulties of having a child who is on the spectrum, but I also know that given the right tools, given the right opportunities, given the right chances, they can absolutely thrive and be the most incredible people on this earth. Geniuses, math whizzes, they can remember things like they just happened two seconds ago. They can make you see the world in a whole new way if you're willing to open your eyes and look at it differently. I think that Joe Daniels 
would have been an incredible person if he'd been given the chance, if he'd had a family that would have embraced him and helped him and encouraged him and walked with him through all of the difficulties and despite the challenges. His life may not have been easy, but it would have been absolutely a life worth living. And Joseph Ray Daniels took that chance away from him. He looked at his son, at the boy who was named after him, and saw a problem, not a source of pride. He looked at his sweet boy and saw resentment and not love. He looked at his son and refused to see the joy and the magic that he could offer. And people like that don't deserve to have children. They don't deserve to be able to procreate if they aren't going to love the child they created. Daniels has said that he didn't even think Joe was his child, but that doesn't matter. You can be mad at your spouse if they cheat on you, but don't take it out on an innocent child. And baby Joe was precisely that innocent. He did nothing wrong. He didn't do anything to deserve to be beaten or killed. He was a kid who was trying to learn and understand the world around him the best he could. And the man who took his life doesn't deserve to ever, ever, ever walk the streets freely ever again. So that is going to conclude the case of Joe Clyde Daniels. If there are any appeals or court cases concerning Daniels' appeals, I will be sure to make an episode on that. But until next week, the record will so reflect. See you guys next time.